Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. It's Friday, January 15th. We are here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, we are having a blizzard by definition. Uh, I watched the news last night and uh, the weather guy told me that a, a blizzard uh, includes 35 mile an hour plus winds, sustained for over three hours, and uh, involves snow. And man, when I woke up this morning, that's exactly what we're having. So uh, no guest today. My guest canceled uh, for good reason. I didn't want him driving across town and you know, putting himself at risk. It looks really horrible when the safety guy dies on the way to give a safety podcast. So, so just me today, and uh, we are going to do a couple of OSHA shorts. So there's a couple of things that I've been wanting to talk about, information that I think is important and uh, probably timely. And so this is a perfect opportunity for us to give you some of this information in short form. Uh, we refer to them as OSHA shorts, and I think we're going to maybe uh, even consider some of this stuff OSHA 101. We're going to get back to the basics this year. For those of you that don't know a lot about OSHA and OSHA, how OSHA works, uh, responsibilities, rights, things like that, I, I think on occasion we're going to dig down into into the um, elemental aspects of OSHA. So those of you who are not familiar uh, have a little better understanding. I know I know we take for granted oftentimes that the audience understands all these things. And so today I've got two shorts for you. This first one we're going to start out with is going to be employer responsibilities under the Occupational Safety and Health Act, what you are expected to be doing. And second, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the new site-specific targeting program. Uh, OSHA just released, as of last December, their new site-specific targeting program, which I think is probably of interest to a large number of you. So we'll go through that as well. First of all, I'd like to thank my sponsors, as always, CCS Group, Custom Concrete Specialists, Cheyenne, Josh, and all the folks at CCS. Thank you, guys. Your support is much appreciated. The Nebraska Department of Labor on-site consultation group, Jim Cover and all the consultants down in uh, Lincoln, well, I guess all over the state. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I know you're coming in next week. I'm looking forward to talking with you, buddy. Uh, so thank you, guys. Thanks to the sponsors. Thanks to the listeners and all of my guests. Uh, Cody Hoover was going to be with me today, and uh, because of the weather, um, Cody's getting a pass, and we'll, we'll um, bring him in another time. So the first, the first thing I'd like to talk about, I got this question last week, in fact, from uh, an employer representative who was asking if I would just speak to his client a little bit about um, employer responsibilities under the Occupational Safety and Health Act. And that's, that's a really interesting question. It seems fairly basic and uh, perhaps uh, misunderstood. And so... I guess to, to really start the story where it belongs, I think you need to know as an employer whether or not you are under OSHA's jurisdiction in your, give us, in your given geographical area, your jurisdictional, jurisdictional location. Are you covered by OSHA? Are you responsible to comply with OSHA? And there are a number of things that go into that consideration. Uh, I was a compliance officer and an OSHA person in Nebraska, and Nebraska is a federally administered program. And there are both federal and state-administered programs. Everybody starts out federal, but states that have an interest in um, establishing and maintaining their own OSHA program have, a, have the right to do that. They contract with federal OSHA to do that. But in Nebraska, a federal program jurisdiction extends to essentially the private sector, private sector employers, you know, manufacturing, other types of industry, construction, uh, with a limited amount of uh, jurisdiction over ag and maritime and things like that. 
Um, but, but one of the basic criteria is that you have an employee, so there must be an employer-employee relationship, at least one employee, before OSHA would typically be um, um, exercising jurisdiction over a given employer. And again, there are exceptions to this, so if you have questions about whether or not you are under OSHA's jurisdiction, you probably need to do a little bit of research on your own, check out the website, um, perhaps even check out with the local Department of Labor in your state and just uh, inquire. Um, There are some exceptions, and I'm not going to get into detail on that, but every year when OSHA... Uh, goes through the appropriations process with Congress when they're asking for their funding. Uh, Congress comes back with certain stipulations on the use of that money. Uh, they're riders, basically, on that money. And so through the Appropriations Act process, there are some industrial or construction sectors that are exempted temporarily from that jurisdiction. And so there are occasions where small businesses, typically 10 or fewer, Uh, in maybe less hazardous industries or sectors are exempt, uh, even for a temporary period of time. So again, um, I probably can't cover all of these scenarios in this short, but uh, knowing that you are under OSHA's jurisdiction is the first step. And so as far as employer responsibilities, I I pulled this information right from the website, www.osha.gov, and I'm going to read to you just a few of the things that are listed on this responsibilities page. So number one, provide a workplace free from serious recognized hazards and comply with standards, rules, and regulations issued under the Occupational Safety and Health Act. So what they're basically saying is this is this is coming from Section 5 in the OSH Act. Um, provide a workplace free from serious recognized hazards. That's, that's important. Um, we're not necessarily responsible for all hazards. Paper cuts probably don't hit the list. Uh, you know, punching the stapler into your finger probably doesn't hit the list. So we are, we are looking for hazards and risk that have the potential to cause serious harm. You know, temporary um, disability, permanent disability, death, those kinds of things. That's what OSHA is primarily interested in and recognized hazards. So... Uh, we do have to determine what what would be considered a recognized hazard in our industry. And if it's in the book of regulations, if it's in the CFR that pertains to your sector, industry, general industry, or construction, or one of the others, you know, those regulations would be considered recognized hazards. But there are other things, whether they be recognized in your workplace or within the industry that you participate in or, you know, other maybe consensus organizations that have identified particular hazards. We are, we are not limited to what is simply in the Code of Federal Regulations. And, and OSHA refers to this as the general duty clause. We, we are certainly responsible for any of those regulations that pertain to us. But we are also responsible to evaluate the workplace for hazards that may not be codified in a regulation, but may be otherwise recognized. And so that's a pretty broad swath. Right, there's a lot covered by that statement, but first and foremost, we are responsible as employers if we have one or more employee to provide them a workplace free from these serious recognized hazards. Okay, that that's a that's a huge statement, and that probably drives everything else that we are going to be responsible for under under OSHA. Number two, examine your workplace conditions to make sure they conform to applicable OSHA standards. 
examine workplace conditions. What we're talking about there is, you know, periodically you are required to surveil your workplace to see if you identify these hazards, uh, if you identify unsafe behaviors on the part of your employees, and, and you need to correct those. And so they talk about this pretty extensively in the construction CFR 1926, but they refer to it in 1910. Basically, you need to inspect your workplace at a frequency that allows you to catch these hazards as they arise and, and correct them. You know, if you only surveil your workplace once a year, there, regardless of the type of work you're doing, there's a lot going on in that work environment that you're probably not aware of and you, and you won't have the opportunity to correct. And so there is no fixed frequency the frequency that you need to employ is as frequent as necessary to identify and correct. But make no mistake, everybody needs to be doing surveillance in their workplaces from time to time. So examine your workplace, you know, look at the conditions, look at the work behaviors, and make sure that they conform with the applicable standards. Or if you've identified one of those general duty hazards, <clears throat> make sure you address that as well. Make sure employees have and use safe tools and equipment and properly maintain this equipment, okay? So, you know, again, this is a pretty broad swath. I mean, hand tools, power tools, you know, mechanical equipment, um, machines, anything that you would use to perform the functions of your work environment. And I'm going to include in this um, personal protective equipment, so PPE. So you are required to ensure that these tools are safe, and that they are being used in a safe manner and properly maintained. And so that might involve preventive maintenance, some type of preventive maintenance program, if we're talking about equipment or tools, um, or training on how to care for and use PPE. I, I see all the time, I go into facilities regularly, where the PPE, you know, often we're talking about gloves or safety glasses or face shields or even hard hats, you know, some of the other PPE that you might employ just laying around the workplace and it's dirty and it's not well kept and it's damaged oftentimes and it is not properly maintained. And uh, I think that's a problem. I don't think employees are going to use that. It's certainly not going to function in a manner that we would want it to function in. And so this is something that the employer is also responsible for. Now, you can, you can defer some of this responsibility to your employees. We certainly want, we want the employees to be participating in caring for the equipment, maintaining their PPE, but that would require a fairly concise explanation of what your expectations are and the training and, and whatever equipment would be necessary to do that. So it's not necessarily intuitive that employees are going to understand their responsibility to care for this equipment. So as the employer, it is our responsibility to define that for them and explain that to them, okay? Uh, there, and there's a long list here. I'm not going to go through all of these, but the next one I think is important would be employers must provide safety training in a language and vocabulary workers can understand. And so this is telling us that we as employers have a responsibility to train our employees, all right? Um, safety training. What we really want to do is convey to them how to perform their job functions safely, all right? I think, I think we need a little bit of a paradigm shift here. I think for years and years we have been doing this safety training where we take our employees off to a, a training room somewhere or we pull them aside in the work environment and we explain to them a safety program, okay? Lockout, tagout, 
or PPE or whatever that might be. We define what those are and we explain what their responsibilities are. But what we really need to do is just incorporate this, these concepts into performing your work activities safely. And so if you produce a product, uh, you know, you need to produce a quality product safely, as safely as possible. If you deliver a service, we want to deliver a quality service safely. And so safety training, to me, is sometimes a little bit misleading. I think what we, we really want to focus on is performing our work activities safely. Within the confines of these regulations or beyond that, of course, we can certainly go above and beyond the basic requirements stated in the regulations And then in a language and a vocabulary, workers can understand. And that is going to require us then to evaluate, you know, our workforce, right? I mean, if we have employees whose language, whose primary language is not English, then we may have to train them in a language that they will understand this information in. So it may not always be English. And that's that's really critical. As a former OSHA person, that was part of our evaluation if are you training your employees in a language that they understand and then a vocabulary workers can understand what does that mean are, are we are we addressing them at a level maybe at an academic level or intellectual level that they are capable of comprehending there are certainly elements to some of these regulations that are fairly technical and i think that we we as safety professionals or as managers and leaders oftentimes understand these topics And we use vocabulary, maybe we're using acronyms. That's something common in the government. We use a lot of acronyms that the audience doesn't necessarily understand. And uh, we can do that when we're doing this work safely training as well. We can use terms and language that our employees don't necessarily necessarily understand. And so we need to be very cognizant of that. And that may mean that you are doing slightly different training to different audiences, okay? I'm not talking about talking down to somebody, but I am talking about conveying information in a language that they'll understand, okay? Uh, The last of these I'm going to talk about, and again, this is a a lengthy list of employer responsibilities you can find on the OSHA website or Google employer responsibilities, but the last one, keep records of work-related injuries and illnesses, okay? Note, employers with 10 or fewer employees and employers in certain low-hazard industries are exempt from this requirement. So again, this is the 1904 standard, the record-keeping standard. And so it's important that you determine if you as an employer, if your industry group or you, the size of your company, will exempt you from keeping these records. I, I would inc- Now, we're talking about OSHA 300 logs, the OSHA 300A, which is an annual summary form, a 301 or equivalent, which is the first report of incident or injury, forms, um, you may not be required to keep those, all right? And so you need to establish that first. But my, my, my advice to you is you need to account for this information in some fashion. If you're not required to keep an OSHA 300 log or tabulate a 300A or even electronically report, you know, later, you know, that's coming up here in March. We have to, we have to do our le- electronic reporting by March 2nd if we are covered by the record-keeping standard and we have 20 or more employees at a given location, we have to report that information, okay? I'm going to actually talk about that in a little bit. But we do need to keep these records. Most employers will be required to keep these records. They are valuable records, and they need to be kept as accurately as possible. So when you take this OSHA 300 log or this packet of information and you hand it to an administrative person 
or maybe you're doing it yourself if you're a small business person, it's not really intuitive. Somebody, the person that is doing this needs to spend a little bit of time learning the record-keeping requirements for these records to be accurate and useful and not detrimental, frankly, to you as an employer. Uh, but we do need to keep accurate records of work-related injuries and illnesses, okay? And we'll talk more about record-keeping in the future. I, I, in fact, we're going to talk about that in a few weeks when I have the OSHA guys in here or some of the guys. And so that's a really interesting and misunderstood topic. But basically, folks, um, if you are covered by OSHA, there are definitely some legal responsibilities that you have to uphold, okay? Uh, that's not even to talk about maybe moral or ethical responsibilities, and, and frankly, maybe the legal responsibilities are the least compelling in some circumstances. You know, we want to be compliant with OSHA, but first and foremost, we want to provide our employees a safe place to work. We want to take care of our employees. Uh, we want to, you know, encourage that they, that they participate in the safety programs and work safely and all those things. And so um, that's, a, that's a brief summary, just in a nutshell, what your employer responsibilities might be if you are covered by OSHA. We'll be talking more about it in the future, but I hope this has been helpful. Um, keep up the good work, guys. If you're listening to this, you're on the right track. I appreciate that. If you do have questions at any time, you are welcome to send them to Doug at FletcherSafety.com, and we'll, we'll, I'll bring them forward and have some of the guests talk about them. But otherwise, keep focused on the why we do this. It's important, and I'll talk to you later. Take care. Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.